0: Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for joining us today for our sermon, and we're going to be turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, start reading in verse 7, and reading through verse 11. So this is the word of our Lord, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that we can find in it what is true, what is powerful. We thank you that it is your word that changes us as your spirit wields it. And we pray that today he would be wielding it that you would speak to our hearts that you transform us to be more like jesus christ we pray that your word would penetrate our hearts dividing between what's not even dividable and that our hearts will lay open before you we pray that there will be no secret sin in us we pray father that you would enable us to be sanctified to put away sin to forsake sin and to turn to christ us to desire uh, closeness with you relationship with you we pray that uh, we would uh, be transformed from glory to glory even as our bodies decay we pray that the inner men would be made alive even through your word we pray in Jesus name amen in this passage before us today Peter sets the goal for the life of every Christian he urges us to live for the glory of God and the good of each other. This is the life of the Christian. One commentator in the Book of First Peter says uh, labels this this uh, passage that we read here this morning the life of God's glory, and that reflects the main theme of the Book of, the fir- of First Peter: living the way that the glory of God is reflected, that is is, uh, is shown in our lives. And I want us to start by saying that this command that Peter gives us to live for the glory of God is based on an indicative. All godly living is based on an indicative. Look at verse 7, the first half of verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Throughout the New Testament, Christ and the apostles base their exhortation to godly living on statements of truth. Because of a foundational truth, they say, act in a certain way. You find, you find, you not find commands to do this or that, or how-to lists in the Bible that are not grounded in doctrinal truth. This is true of Peter as well, as he writes 1 Peter. The statement, the truth, that is the basis for the command that follows, to live for the glory of God, is that the end of all things is at hand. Christ is returning. Now contrary to those who say that history has no beginning or end, Christ is coming back for the consummation of all things. Since the ascension of our Lord, every generation of Christians has lived in that expectation of the return of Christ, much like the Old Testament saints lived in the expectation of the first coming of Christ, of the Messiah that is going to redeem them. And Peter says that's how we must live. All the major events in God's plan of redemption have occurred, and now all things are ready for His return. The only thing that Christ is waiting for is the gathering of His church, the completion of the elect, the the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. And when that happens, then He will return. And when He does return, all things as we know them will end, and He will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And we live in this expectation of the return of our Lord to receive us as His bride. We live in the expectation of the resurrection, as Paul tells Titus. We live according to the blessed hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the body. We live in the expectation of eternal bliss with the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and we live in the expectation of that last judgment before the Judge of all the earth. It is because of the truth that Christ is coming back, and that the and that the bodily return, the physical return of Jesus, is at hand. That Peter exhorts the church to godly living. And this is true throughout the New Testament. Both Paul and John point to the coming of Christ tomorrow or or soon as reason to live Godly lives now. This has to be the emphasis and the effect of our study on eschatology. We are going to obey Christ today because Christ is coming soon. If our study of eschatology makes us forget the here and the now, then that study is not fulfilling the purpose for which God designed it. That the truth that Christ is coming back causes us to live for His glory today. We live godly lives now because Christ is coming back for us. Eschatology and every other Christian doctrine for that matter was given to us to be lived out every day. John Calvin in his Institutes says, Christianity is a doctrine, not of the tongue, but of life. It is not apprehended by the understanding and memory alone, as other disciplines are, but it is received only when it possesses the whole soul and finds a seat and resting place in the inmost affection of the heart. And lastly, as we begin today, Peter gives us the return of our Lord as the basis for godly living because when we look at life from that perspective, when we look at life from the end, we see a victorious Christ coming to a redeemed church upon whom nothing can prevail, including Satan himself. This perspective helps us see that Christ has the victory over sin and over death, This perspective helps us see that whatever trial, whatever struggle, whatever challenge we are going through is all, is just a, as Paul puts it, a light and momentary affliction because Christ is coming back for us. Looking at from the end, we see that there's hope, there's victory, and that all things is moving to these The the consummation of all the promises that are in Jesus Christ. Because all the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. And Peter gives us not only the basis for godly living, but also the purpose or the goal of godly living. And we find that in verse 11. Peter says in the second half of verse 11, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We live godly lives not because we want to be good boys and girls, though we should want that, but because that brings glory to God. As we, as I said, we see that in this portion of verse 11 that we've just read together. And we see that specific in that word, that, that began the portion I read. Where in verse 11, again, it says, That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word behind the English word, that, in this particular verse, means... In order that so that for the purpose of that so the purpose of life is that in all things God be glorified our lives are to be doxologies to God our lives are supposed to be singing the praises of God our lives are supposed to ascribe glory to God as the Lord Jesus said said people are supposed to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven so our lives are to be declarations of the glory of God. What we do by ourselves, how we relate to one another, and so on. Uh, I don't quote, quote him very much, but John Piper in his book Desiring God says, Peter shows that the goal of all of our service as Christians is that God would be glorified as the one who enables all good things. Life was created for the glory of God And not just some parts of life, but all of life is to be lived for the glory of God. In First Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even such mundane things as drinking and eating are to be done for the glory of God and we can't miss the word whatever that's a very important word in first Corinthians 10 31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do do it for the glory of God in my eating and drinking I am to glorify God but also in my relationship to my my wife in my parenting, in my worshiping, in my working, in my thinking, anything that is part of living must be done for the glory of God. And it can't be done for the glory of God. If it can't be done for the glory of God, then it shouldn't uh, be done at all. If, you, if you're if you involved in an activity, that, that the activity in and of itself cannot be done for the glory of God, that means that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing because whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. So here we have laid before us by the Apostle Peter, the first and foremost goal for our lives, live in such a way that brings all glory to God. Our confession, our standards agree with that. Both the shorter and the larger catechisms start with such a statement where the catechism asks What is man's chief end? What is man's chief design? What is man's chief goal? Why was man created? That's the question that's been asked. And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So we're called to godly life. That is, promoting each other's good. And that that is what we see in the rest of the passage. Peter puts godly living in terms of four practices that are other-oriented. I find it very interesting when it says you live for the glory of God, that's the goal of life, and you do that because Christ is coming back, and then he, he organizes that godly living because of the coming of Christ in, in terms of four different actions, and these four actions are all other-oriented, Has to do with the way that we relate to other people and how we serve Other people. And he puts in terms of prayer, of love, hospitality, and exercising spiritual gifts. And I want you to first notice here as we think about these, uh, services, this promoting of each other's good in our lives, I want you to notice that it is God who supplies the strength and the grace to obey Him. Look at verse 10 as each one has received a gift to minister to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It is a, is given to us by God. Again, in verse 11, Peter says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. It is God who gives us the grace, supplies the strength for us to accomplish These things that He calls us to do as we endeavor to glorify Him by living Godly lives that are other-oriented. Now, God does not demand from us what He does not provide to us. Again, John Piper in a different book, John Piper in in, uh, When I Don't Desire God, says, The strength to serve is a gift. God supplies it. When we believe that and lean on it consciously, we show God to be the glorious giver of the strength, the giver gets the glory. And the word translated supplies in our translation means to lavishly provide. There's no skimping in God's provision of grace that enables us to serve Him and one another. So, Don't sit around waiting for God to provide you the grace to serve him and one another when he says to you that he has already done it. He's already provided the grace, all the grace you need to serve one another, to obey him, to do the things that he calls you to do. You may say, I don't feel like it. And that is okay because God hasn't asked you to feel like it. He's asked you to do it. So you just go ahead and do it because He is given you the grace to do that. And the first action, the first thing, the first other oriented action that is a reflection that you understand that Christ is returning and that you're to live for the glory of God is that you pray. We see that in verse 7 where Pope Peter says, Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. This is not really a command to pray as much as it is a command to pray in a certain way. Peter assumes that the fact that you are a Christian, that you are praying. So he says, as you pray, that's very similar to what our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount. As you pray, you pray in a certain way. Praying is to the Christian as breathing is to the human. That's just something that you do. And both words describe uh, used to describe how we are to pray relates to the idea of a clear mind. Listen again to verse seven in the second half. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Both of these words, serious and watchful, have to do with the state of your mind, the fact that you have a clear mind when you pray. The first means that we are, pr- we are to pray thoughtfully, using our minds that is serious, is that we are going to use our minds in prayer. We're not going to use chant, we're not going to use, to use repetitions, we're not going to use things that are not mindful, that we're not thinking, but we're going to pray with our minds. And the second one that I said watchful here is really the word for sober, the, idea, the word for not drunk. And here has the idea of not letting your mind get cluttered when you pray. In both, we find an exhortation to take prayer seriously. So Christ is coming back. is coming back soon. Because of that, you're going to live a godly life. God has already given the grace to do that. And one of the ways you do that is by praying. By praying seriously. By praying with an engaged mind and a mind that's not cluttered with other things, either substances or worries and anxieties from a daily life. Secondly, Peter says that a godly life reflects itself in love. Look at verse 8. And above all things have perfect love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter says that above anything else you can do for your brother, for your sister, is your love for them. Early on in the book, in chapter 1, verse 22, Peter has already said, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter says you have been purified, the Spirit is in you, you already have love for the brethren, you love them deeply from the heart. And notice that this is a command to love. In verse 8 again he says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Have it. Love is a command. A commentator uh, on 1 Peter by the name of Edwin Bloom says, Love is capable of being commended because it is not primarily an emotion, but a decision of the will leading to action. And notice that the command is not just to love, but to love with a fervent deep, earnest love. Again, look at verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of, of sins. The word fervent means uh, fire-consuming, means uh, burning, and that's the idea here. We have this consuming love for one another. Now, why is love so important in the Church of Jesus Christ? What Peter says here, that is so important because it covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that love ignores sin. Love doesn't pretend that there isn't sin. Love deals with sin, and love forgives sin. Again, another commentator on 1 Peter, Wayne Grudem, says, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. Love forgives. Love allows us to live in relationship. Love allows us to think the best of one another. Isaac, uh, uh, not Isaac, John Newton's song that they would know as "The Look." Reflects that reflects that love that Jesus has for us. This is where it says. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood, who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood, and never to my dying breath where forget that look. it seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins. His blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. But with a second look, he said, I freely all forgive this blood for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. Love results in forgiveness. And you can't love others till you know the love of Christ. You cannot love anyone fully till you have been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ so Christ is coming back we live for his glory that living is manifested by prayer that is serious that is mindful that is thoughtful that is uncluttered that life is manifested in love for others a love that forgives thirdly we live for the glory of God by being hospitable Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So, we hear that we are to live for the glory of God, and we, we hear that Peter says we are to pray. Okay, got that prayer, spiritual exercise. We hear that we are to love. That makes sense. But now we come to this exhortation that seems to be out of place here, to be hospitable. We don't think of hospitality as something that is an essential part of our Christian walk. Yet the problem is with our thinking, not with Peter. Hospitality, the love of strangers, the entertaining of others, the giving of ourselves to others is a major part of the Christian life. Hospitality is here because in being hospitable, we are giving ourselves to others. We are being inconvenienced for the sake of. Of others and we are to do it without complaining we're not supposed to be all right the Bible says I'm supposed to hang out with people to have them over to serve them so I guess I'm going to do that no it's without grumbling without complaining so we pray we love we are hospitable and Peter says then We use what God has given to us to serve others. Look at verses 10 and the beginning of verse 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies." Peter implies here that everyone in the church has received a gift, that everyone in the church has received a talent, a skill, a capability that can be used for the good of others and of the church. He says that in the beginning of verse 10, where he says, as each one has received a gift. He assumes that everyone has received some sort of way, some sort of gift, some sort of skill that can be used for the blessing of others. And whatever gift that is, you are to use it in the service of others. Now the word minister is the word for service that we hear. And the reason you are to use for others, the the, the gift for others, is that, is that it does not belong to you. It is God's, is a gift that belongs to God, is given to you, and you're stewarding it, you're managing it on His behalf. Peter is referring to the same thing taught by our Lord in the parable of the talents. Remember the parable of the talents where Jesus gave, uh, the, in, the, in the parable, the master gave to some, to a man, five talents, to another man, two talents, and to a third man, one talent. So different gifts to manage. Greater gifts, lesser gifts, but all gifts to manage and they're supposed to use that gift to multiply that gift, and then return them to the Lord. Are you familiar with that story? But God gives something to all of us to be managed for His glory, and that's the idea of gift here. It's not something that we deserve, because if that was something that we deserved, that would be wages or salary. It is a gift given regardless of our deserving. That's why Peter added the expression that is given to us according to the manifold grace of God, the plentiful, the abundant mercy of God. And then he gives us the example of two gifts. This is not an exhaustive example. He says, Peter's saying, Here, let me tell you how to use these two gifts that are representative of other gifts so that you can then apply what I'm saying here to all the gifts that might be available in the church. And notice that these two gifts, not although not restricted to them, they are a reflection of the two offices in the church. It's interesting that Peter chose the two gifts that are most closely related to the offices in the church, the office of the elder and the office of the deacon, speaking and serving. Again, look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak, As the oracles of God if anyone ministers let him do it as with the ability which God supplies so he talks about the the gift of speaking and that's really the the gift of teaching and I wanted to apply it to several groups in the church starting with the pastor the pastor has been recognized by the church as having the gift of speaking or teaching Uh, the church has called them to be their main speaker to be their main teacher But he is not to speak and teach anything he wants. He is to speak the oracles of God, as Peter says here. That means that he is only to speak and teach what the Word of God speaks and teach. It does not mean, though, that his words are inspired and infallible like the Bible is, but it does mean that every time he gets up to preach a sermon or to teach a lesson, he must bring God's Word, not his own. And that is what you should demand of me as your pastor. Sermons and lessons that are thoroughly biblical, not just filled with stories. And you are to demand that because that is what's good for you. But this idea of speaking as a gift also applies to anyone who teaches at the church. This also applies to the Sunday school teachers, to the youth group leader, to children's ministry workers, to ladies fellowship, or any teaching capacity in the church. Anyone who stands to teach in the church about God or on how to live must do so according to and with the word of God, not his or her own words. And this applies also to everyone else, not just the pastor, not just to those teaching in the church, but also to everyone else. This is a gift that we all share in some measure, the ability to teach the word of God. So as we speak with one another, our speech must be filled with and in accordance with the word of God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, when it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. So we speak, and we speak the oracles of God to one another, and that's one gift that God's given to the church. He also is given the gift of serving. Isn't it interesting that uh, uh, when Peter decided to highlight these two gifts, to, to give example, a sample of the gifts that God gives us, he picked, picked, picked two gifts that everybody can do. Is nothing extraordinary about them. So he says that we are to serve one another. In verse 11, it says, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Now, there are a couple of things here concerning the translation of this clause that we need to consider. First is the word, if. If anyone ministers. The word, if, does not indicate conditionality. Now, if you're going to do it, you do it this way. That's not what Peter is saying. This is a simple, conditional statement. Sentence. He has the strength of when. So you could take the word if there and says, when you minister. Peter is not saying that if you get around to serving, do it this way. Rather, he's saying, when you serve, serve this way. A Christian serves. Same way the Christian prays, the Christian serves. And when you do it, Peter's saying, you need to do it in a particular way. So this is a gift that has been given to everyone, in the church in one measure or another the same the second thing i want us to consider is the, the verb ministers this is really the verb to deacon or to do the work of a deacon and it would be a better badge of serves, as we have here and this helps us understand what sort of service peter is calling us to do this is the type of service that characterizes the office of the deacon so it is helping the, the physical needs of the church, helping the poor, helping the widow, helping the sick, helping one moving, and we can include almost any service under this category. So Peter places before us the fact that a godly life is marked by serving others. Therefore, you cannot live a godly life if you're not serving others. You can pray 24 hours a day, you can read your Bible through every week, but you're not living a godly life if you're not serving others. And, and we see this service so evident in so many people in our church, and I'm so thankful that the Lord has been so gracious to us in enabling us to serve one another. These are the works of the Spirit in us and among us. Yet we need to see more of it. This, this needs to be a characteristic of all in the church. Not just some or even many. And Peter says that God lavishly provides the ability to all who serve. God is not, he's not tight with his grace. He's not, um, I remember growing up, I can't remember the name in English, but I remember reading, uh, I grew up reading uh, comic um, magazines. And they have Donald Duck. Donald Duck had an uncle and I can't remember what his name is in English, but he was a miser. He had all this money, and he would swim in the coins, but he would never give money to anybody. That's not how God sees his grace. God is lavishly providing for us so that we can serve one another. So Peter sets the goal for life in this passage, for every life, for every Christian. He urges us to live for the glory of God and the good of each other. So so brother, sister, let us live for the glory of God and for the good of each other so that we can say with Peter that to Jesus Christ belong all glory and all dominion over the church and over our hearts. Christ is returning. Live today in light of that truth. Let us pray together. Our God, we thank you that You have not left us to ourselves, but you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word, you've given us the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the body. We pray that we live godly lives today, praying, serving, loving, being hospitable, because our Lord is returning for us. We thank you that your grace is lavishly poured upon us, enable us to live out that in our lives for your glory